following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. Father God, we thank you today for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your presence that we sensed as we gathered together today. Holy Spirit, we just pray you'd have your way in the next few moments that we share together. We bless you. We honor you. Lord, we pray for our nation today. We pray for, Lord, the United States of America. Lord, as we continue to navigate these certain situations and crisis, Lord, we pray for our president. We pray for the leadership. We pray for churches today that are gathering. We, Lord, we, we pray that you'd send a solution to this coronavirus quickly, Lord, and allow us to navigate that and let health and healing be restored to your people and to this nation and to the globe. Lord, you said your house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. So we pray for all the nations today around the world, Lord, those that are suffering in ways that we can't even dream or imagine here in the United States. And Lord, we lift our hearts up for those around the world that are suffering today. Our brothers and sisters in Africa and those in Greece that I've been in touch with recently that are struggling so desperately. Those in Nicaragua, Lord, that are struggling to find something to eat today, Lord, send a solution to them, Lord. Raise, speak to somebody to do. Eyes that are ready to see, ears that are ready to hear. I don't believe we could have gotten to this place any other way to have ears ready to hear and eyes ready to see unless we had been right here where we are. And so this scripture, as I told you a few weeks ago, came right up in my spirit from the Lord. And it's Micah 6, 7 through 8. And it says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? By the way, in that culture, it wasn't unusual for people to offer up their firstborn as a sacrifice to the gods to cause a plague to leave. So they're so desperate, they're saying, God, should we start sacrificing our children? This is the desperation of the time they're in. The prophet says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Not to sacrifice children, not to do some extraordinary religious ceremony, but to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. See, I'm, I've been listening, and the scripture's been used a lot. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, they will pray and I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. But unfortunately, that's what's being said, but that's not what's being heard. I think what most of church hears is this, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and see if everybody else can repent. If we could get everybody else to repent, all the wickedness that's out there, if we could get all those guys to repent. And so what happens is, as I spoke earlier, we try to elevate things that we're not dealing with so that we can hide behind those and not deal with what God's actually wanting us to deal with. So I'm, I'm convinced the church, because he didn't say if the world repents, if my people call by my name, humble themselves, 
seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. So I'm convinced the church is ready to repent. We just don't know what to repent from. I don't think we have a problem repenting. It's just we're, we're so vague, right? Repent from what? I mean, obviously you and I all have personal issues that we could probably spend the rest of the morning repenting of. But you know those very well, so do I, and I'm working on myself and you're working on yourself, but that's not the national issue. See, unfortunately, we think our personal sin is the national issue. No, the national issue is a systemic issue. It's the system that's evil. And so we got to know what to repent of if, if we're going to move with God in this season. So act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. We've been over some of this, but first act justly. That's action, not just belief. That's a word of action. That means we've got to start doing something differently than we've done in the past as a church. And you'll see from just a minute when I start showing you what the prophets were actually saying. When I've studied scripture now, I've been studying a whole new light. Every time the prophets are calling for national repentance, it's interesting that they're not calling for personal repentance. They're calling for a national repentance, and it always has to do with justice. Somehow God's people had gotten away from living justless, and that's what they were called to repent for. It's important that we get a hold of this. I understand justified by grace, you and I, in our personal salvation, but that salvation demands a responsibility, according to James 3, to show your faith by your works. And so it's not we're justified by works, but we've got to show our faith by our works. And you'll see a minute from the prophets. The widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the weak, the poor, the hungry, the oppressed, the disenfranchised. These are the ones God is calling for justice for, not for himself, but for the people in the earth. I was preaching in North Carolina, and once again, people questioned me, Kent, why don't you preach on hell? My, my answer continually is, I'm not planning on going. That's not my destination. And this whole message of heaven and hell, afterlife stuff, I'm not denying the fact, I do believe in hell. I believe in the hell Jesus preached. And the hell Jesus preached, the way you get there is different from what most of us think that it is. A lot of that is how we act justly. It's stewardship. Let me just go ahead and go on record. If you're an American, you got a responsibility. We celebrated our freedom yesterday, but there's a responsibility. Only 5% of the world lives here. 95% of the world lives somewhere. I was just with missionaries last week in North Carolina where their folks that are praying for, they're not just trying to hide from a virus, they're looking for rodents because they're hungry. Their church that we were praying for are trying to find a rat. So they have something to eat. And so when we begin to think, you, could, you and I could have been born in any nation in the world, right? But for some reason, God blessed us to be born here. Unfortunately, I believe I'm all about uh, patriotism. I, I, I feel like I am a patriot. I love what our nation stands for. But that's a far cry from a nationalistic spirit. 
And our nation needs to repent from a nationalistic spirit that we forgot about the rest of the world and we're just focused on our own well-being. This is, this is, I believe, what God is calling us, the church. By the way, America, I love America, but it's not the kingdom. America is not the kingdom. We're a great nation. I believe birthed and born by God for God's redemptive purpose. Why do I believe in America? Because I believe God called America. I believe God birthed this nation, but for the purpose to be a light to the world and to make sure justice is carried out throughout the earth. That's what I believe we're here for. Not to dominate the world, but to serve the world as a nation. Come on, somebody. And that's the spirit we need to grab a hold of in our nation, that we're called to serve the world, not dominate the world. There's 2,600 scriptures. This is more than, more than heaven, hell, prayer, faith combined. 2,600 scriptures that tie generosity to righteousness. So when we're called to repent... Look at this scripture, Ezekiel 16, 49. This one blew my mind. Now, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Hold on a minute. Arrogant overfed and unconcerned. Now you tell me that's not where we're at. Arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. As a nation. The grain we feed our cows so that we can eat beef is enough grain to feed the world and stop hunger. We gotta get a paradigm. This little pastor, my sister and her husband, Paul, support in Africa. We don't, we, we don't have a clue how he gets through the day. Yesterday, we celebrated the 4th. We had piles of food left. It's like an abundance. Let's just be honest. But overfed, arrogant, unconcerned. So we're wanting to kind of play the, what's the whole slide of hand? Let's keep all this stuff up here, you know, as the main thing so that we can stay down here and not worry about it. But if we don't tell the truth and we don't find a real place of repentance, God's not going to hear from heaven. He's not going to heal our land. I got to hurry. God identifies himself as father of the fatherless and defender of the weak more than any other definition of himself in scripture. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. It says on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. And he will say, Depart from me, I don't know you. And I don't know about you, but this is a frightening scripture to me. So that tells me that I can confess Jesus is Lord and not know him. 
Because many will say, Lord, Lord. This tells me I can actually operate in power and still not know him. So what is, it, what is the definition of scripture to know the Lord then? Because I, I know most everybody in this room, everybody here wants to know the Lord. That's our, we love the Lord. So what does it mean to know the Lord? Well, what's interesting, you know, scripture, Dan's a theologian and he can more define this than me, but sometimes you gotta discern, like for example, marriage, like whether you're supposed to be married or not because the Bible's not specific because one, one scripture says that if you find a wife, you find a good thing and you obtain favor of the Lord. Paul said, if you're not married, don't seek to be married because you're asking for a lifetime of pain. <laughs> so which one is it? <laughs> so you have to kind of make up your mind which journey you got faith for. But there's only one scripture in the whole Bible that defines what it means to know the Lord. Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. When you live a life that defends those that can't defend themselves, and you stand up for those who no one else is standing up for, and you're a voice for those who have no voice, then that's what it means to know the Lord. How about this one, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, nor the strong boast in their strength, nor the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have an understanding to know me. Who am I? I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. So if we're, if we're moving with the Lord, then that's what our life looks like. So let's go to the prophets real quick so we know how to repent. How about Isaiah 58? Shout it loud. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their sin and the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right. And have not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager to come near me. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves that you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it not only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to me, says the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break yokes. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide for the poor or wandering with shelter when you see the naked clothed and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? You do this, God says, now your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of nation I want to live in. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and the Lord will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke of oppression with the pointing of the finger and and malicious talk. My God, would you quit blaming the Democrats and the Republicans and this one and that one and quit pointing all the fingers at everybody else and just do what's right by seeking the Lord and quit talking maliciously. 
Then he says, if you do that, if you take away the yoke of the oppression and the pointing finger of malicious talk, if you will spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You people, you will be able to build the ancient ruins, raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets to dwell in. This is what God's saying to us. I see it now throughout the scriptures. I've never seen it before. You remember that scripture? I've used it many times preaching the gospel. Come let us reason together. Y'all remember that one? Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though your sins be crimson like red, I will wash them white like... Y'all have heard that one? Look what it's about. Isaiah 1, 12 through 21. When you come to appear before me, Who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. God said, I'm about tired of everybody coming to worship me with their mouth, but their heart is so far away from me. I'm tired of your music and your singing and your worship and your preaching when you're not lifting a finger to help any of the people that's important to me. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I'm gonna hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, please the case of, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make, the, I will make them like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you continue to resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. See how beautiful and faithful the beautiful, faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. The Lord said these words to me, if my nation, this nation does not humble itself, the nation will be humiliated. The reason the streets are crying for justice is we've not preached justice in the church. Church, without the paradigm shift, is a place where we come, we're blessed, we're saved, we're healed, we got everything going on, and we're unconcerned about the rest of the world. Because of a false theology that we believe that's what it means to know the Lord and be a church, is to be saved, and one day we're going to go to the great place in the sky, and that's where justice will be served. Well, yes, ultimately justice will be served there, but it's supposed to be served right here, right now. All right. (laughs) Love mercy. Love mercy. Go and learn what this means, Jesus said. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Since when do we think everybody but us is sinners? Just because they don't have the issues we have. So some reason we politicized and lifted to the height of sin, homosexuality and abortion. And most people I know aren't really concerned about the children that are being aborted and are not really concerned about the homosexual. They're, they're concerned that that lifestyle and that action has brought God's judgment on our nation. And if we can ever get all them to repent, then we could live in the blessing of the Lord and continue to be overfed, arrogant, and unconcerned. You can say what you want to about the homosexual lifestyle until you get in relationship with somebody and find out how they're there, why they're there, and what they've been going through. And when somebody looks at you and says, I've spent 30 years asking God to take this away from me, either he hates me and is not listening, or either he doesn't care, and I don't know. They're just trying to find their way. People that have abortions, you don't know their story. You don't know what took them to that place and they had to make that decision. And we bark about it, you know, politically in the church. How many children have we adopted? If we just all of the, if we adopted 100 children that weren't alive, we'd probably end the abortions here in our county this year. What if we went to save a life and said, tell you what, we'll fund every woman that comes to have an abortion, tell them we'll pay her to have the child, we'll give her money for the child, we'll pay the expenses of the child, and we'll adopt the child as soon as it's born. That's church growth. You can't overcome evil with evil. You have to come over evil with good. It's a paradigm. It's mercy. I took a lot of persecution years ago because I, you know, I preach about everything I do. And, and there was a guy sitting outside, people was with me that was sitting outside and, you know, look, look rough. And they said, don't give him any money. He's just going to spend it on beer and cigarettes. I said, well, if that's true, let's just go buy it. So I took him in, bought him a six pack, pack of smokes, and a submarine sandwich. Sat down on the sidewalk with him and found out who he was and what his name was and what's he going through. Cause he needed a six pack. But see, people that never have drank themselves to the place of being an alcoholic don't know what it feels like to not have a drink when you gotta have one. Actually, it's dangerous. They can die from convulsions from it. But our judgmental, where's our mercy? Where's our mercy? I just read about a, some folks that bought an old hotel in Los, Los Angeles and they converted it. And you know what it's converted for? It's for drunks to have a safe place to die with dignity because they're dying on the street, out in the cold, drinking themselves to death. So they said, at least if they don't quit drinking, we can find, get them a place they can die in dignity. And if they choose to drink themselves to death, they let them bring the alcohol in with them. They let them actually go out and buy alcohol if that's their choice. They just don't want them to die alone. 
Where's that church? Where's that church that the Bible says they so love that the world's not attracted because of their preaching or their music or their programs. The world's attracted because they've never seen anybody love like that. My wife mentioned two weeks ago about her father and how his profanity out in the community. You know, I, I, I use more profanity than he did when I realized he's come to live with us. <laughs> what in the blankety blank blank have you got me into now, Beverly? <laughs> 37 years in prison. When Bev went to see him to forgive him, he treated her like dirt. She hadn't seen him in 16 years. We sat there for three hours. He didn't say one word or didn't acknowledge her presence in the room. And got up at the end and he said, if it hadn't been for you, me, and Caleb, our son, he said, I wouldn't even came, took the time to come out here. And my wife looked at him full of mercy. And said, I don't, it doesn't matter to me, Dad, how you feel. Jesus has been very merciful to me. And has forgiven me. And I want you to forgive me. And I want, and, and I want to forgive you. Her heart was so full of hatred and hurt before that release. It infected her body with diverticulitis because of the unforgiveness in her heart. Next thing you know, her heart changed in a moment when she released mercy. We left that prison. We were driving down the road. She tears running in her face. She said, Ken, I just wish he could get out. And she said, I could let him sit in the sun in a soft sweater and just breathe air. Lo and behold, a few years later, dad gone if that didn't happen. <laughs> And he was just a pain in the, as he was when he was there. But what changed him? Mercy. Since when are we supposed to love people because they're lovable? Walk humbly. Where is the humility? James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Where's our humility as a nation and as the church? When you, when you watch the news, Fox and CNN, they're just pulpit bullies. I'm just telling you like it is. Arrogant attitudes since when, when when me and Dan grew up when did the guy just get up and say tonight this is what happened and let you make your own decision about why you want to keep giving me your opinion and your biased attitude on both sides there's no humility even this whole deal with this coronavirus the whole mask no mask and all these fights among you know who's right and who's since when did everybody have to be right or wrong why can't it just be we're trying to navigate a very difficult situation? Can't we come together at least for the time being so we can help each other heal? 
God forbid I would ask you to play, pray for Pelosi. Most of you think she's going to hell anyway. So, you know, or the other side, when I asked people to pray for President Obama, when he was in term, people left the church. Said they refuse to pray for him. Yet the Bible says, lift up holy hands without wrath, praying for those in authority over you that you may live a peaceable life. When Paul wrote that, the leader of that nation was killing Christians. Where's the humility? Where's the humility in the streets? Where's the humility in the church? Look, it's complicated. Don't get me wrong. But there's, I'm just looking for, and for me, where's the humility in it? I know, we've got people in our church that are law enforcement officers. This is the truth. There are parts of our city that it's dangerous for them to go into. This is truth. So they get up and risk their lives every day to go to parts of the city to administer justice that's very dangerous, even in this small city of Anderson, Alabama. So I understand that. But at the same time, I've got black pastor friends of mine who have stellar children, stellar students, that they still today have to have a conversation with them to make sure they behave properly when they're pulled over. Something that you and I have never had to navigate, most of us. That's just the truth. Where's the humility? I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. Some of us never stop to think what it cost some of our black brothers and sisters to come to this church. They had to cross boundaries that you and I never had to cross. They had to leave their culture. They had to leave their music preference. They had to leave their style of preaching. They had to leave a lot of their cultural belief systems and then had to and take a chance on being accepted or rejected when they got here. But they were so hungry for the Holy Spirit and for a move of God and so tired of religion and tradition in their own culture, they said, I'm willing to take the chance and break out. But when have we ever paused just to celebrate that and say, thank you? Humility. Arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. One of the greatest acts of humility I saw was in Flint, Michigan, when that sheriff just took his mask off, laid his stick down and said, what do, you, what, would, what do you need me to do? He didn't ask what's right, what's wrong. What do you need me to do? They said, walk with us. And he gets in line and he starts walking with the protesters and peace reigned throughout Flint, Michigan. Humility. Do you know what's the most powerful force on the earth? the ocean. You know why? It's the lowest. Everything runs to it, not from it. 
Every stream, every river, every, every brook runs to the ocean because it's the lowest. Jesus said, humble yourself. I will exalt you. Exalt yourself. I will humble you. I believe it's time for us as a nation and as a people to humble ourselves and watch everything start running to us instead of running from us. Because King Solomon prayed, you can check it out in, I think it's first or second Kings three, something, it's in the Bible back there in the Old Testament, around Kings, maybe the third chapter, something like that. God came to him in a dream. Solomon, what do you want? Anything you ask, I'll give it to you. Man, if God came to me and asked me that, man, I got a list. But what did God, what did Solomon say? Direct translation, Lord, give me the wisdom to administer justice. Show me how to act justly. God said, because you've asked for something that's so dear to me, not only am I going to give you that, I'm going to give you everything else too. Long life, blessings, abundance, peace. Sounds like Matthew 6, to me. Seek the kingdom of God first and his justice, righteousness, and everything will be added unto us. Maybe we've gotten it off track. Maybe instead of seeking things, we should have been seeking the heart of God. And maybe instead of even trying to get healed or trying to get blessed, we just lived Isaiah 58 and all that stuff just starts overtaking us because we're doing the right thing. And so I just really believe that this is the message, this is the era of justice. It's a new era. It's a new day. I'll go ahead and prophesy to you. Christianity will have a new expression in the earth. Let me put it like this. God's going to get his reputation back. Of who he actually is through the church. Because God's going to change our hearts. Eyes are going to be open that are ready to be open. Ears are going to be open that have been ready to hear. And I believe God is calling the church, the ecclesia in the earth, to be agents of justice. To right the wrongs. The Hebraic thought is to kunalam. Repair the world. Make the world a better place to live. And so I do believe God's calling us to repent, but hopefully we know more about what to repent for. What does that look like for you and I personally? I think we just open our eyes and ears to injustice. And when we see it, act. Act on it. When you see somebody being mistreated unjustly, step in. When you see a need, meet it. This is what it means to know me, says the Lord. And of course, there's many things, and I've said this a couple weeks ago, but it's worth saying again, because I understand people abuse that. People abuse humility and generosity. 
You look out in the streets right now, I mean, burning things and knocking down buildings, that's, that's, that's not a good thing. Black lives do matter, but the Black Lives Organization maybe not doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. That's worth investigating. So I'm not saying as we live this, everything's just gonna be hunky-dory. We'll get used in the process. But just like I said a couple weeks ago when somebody was using me, because I know people, all the, well, if you give them money, they're just gonna spend it on that or they're gonna do this or they're gonna do that. And so I said, Lord, these people are using me. He said, I thought that's what you prayed for. I said, what do you mean? He said, you prayed, Lord, use me. And so if, they're, if I'm supplying everything they're using, what's that to you? And so I'm not saying we have all the answers. This complicated time we're living in, but humility is the way through. Sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know, but I'm here for you. Black Lives Matter, this, that, this, racism, COVID, I don't know all the answers. I really don't, but I just won't be here for people. Just be there for people. Try to understand before you seek to be understood. Try to see where other people live, why they're going through what they're going through, what's happening in their life. And let's be humble and honest with each other. Because I'm telling you, we're not going to get through this like we've gotten through other things. It ain't going away. I promise you, this thing ain't just going to be like, well, a couple months and we're back. Uh-uh. God's, God's sitting on us. And he's not getting up. I believe he's just, he's, he's waiting on us, sitting on us to begin to move in this, this direction. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. And this has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.